0: Kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply this episode of smart people podcast is supported by sidekick by HubSpot with sidekick you can get powerful contact insight right in your inbox sidekick seamlessly integrates with your email so you can receive live notifications when someone opens and clicks on your emails and schedule emails to be sent when you're offline go to getsidekickcom sidekick.com to get your first month of sidekick for free
1: Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I'm Chris Stemp, and I have a brain teaser to start this off. What do Teddy Ruxpin, the Garbage Pail Kids, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Skip It have in common? They all remind me of my childhood. I don't know how you could have got that, but I'm just on this childhood kick now that this week we are interviewing... I mean, a hero for my generation? Chunk from The Goonies? Are you kidding me? Remember the truffle shuffle? Yeah, the guy who originated that is going to be on this show in a few minutes. His real name is Jeff Cohen, and surprisingly, 30 years ago, he starred in that fantastic movie, The Goonies, alongside another one of my favorite characters, Sloth. You know, when I told my wife we were having Jeff on the show, she goes, so because he was in a movie... He's a smart person, and I said, well, no, but I would have had him on anyways, but it turns out Jeff's doing really great for himself, and I wanted to have him on not only to talk about the Goonies, but to talk about what he's doing now, so after kind of a, a short stint as a childhood actor, Jeff went on to get his degree from Berkeley, and then went on to UCLA for law school. Jeff is a founding partner of an entertainment law firm, and he just wrote his first book called The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, Ten Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood. So I'd say the first half of the interview, we dedicate to the Goonies, obviously, and I get to be a fanboy for a little bit. And then the second half, we talk about what Jeff has seen in Hollywood, the cutthroat environment that it provides, and how he gets deals done. What has he learned that can help all of us get a little bit more of what we want? So, how big of a Goonies fan are you? If the answer was big, then you're going to enjoy this upcoming part. We have a fantastic giveaway for you. Jeff has personally signed a brand new DVD of the Goonies, and it will be yours for the small price of a tweet. So head on over to Twitter and tell the world, what you liked about the Goonies, what you like about Jeff, what you like about the podcast. Get creative, anything you like. Just make sure you tag us in it. We are at smartpeoplepod and use the hashtag chunk. So again, head on over to Twitter, send out a tweet about the show or the Goonies, whatever you want. Make sure to tag us at smartpeoplepod and use the hashtag chunk. We will pick one lucky winner and they will be getting an autographed Goonies DVD. What? That's crazy. All right, going to turn it over to Jeff. You can find us at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter where we send out all the amazing things we learn and don't tell you here on the show. Without further ado, let's get that truffle shuffle going as we talk to Jeff Cohen, better known as Chunk. First, I want to say, Jeff... I am like a fanboy. This is a dream come true. I have Chunk from the Goonies on here. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show.
2: No, thanks for having me. And and I I understand, I mean, look, the... You know the weight of being a cultural icon. uh, You know, like Chunk, is heavy, but it's something I deal with every day. So uh, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad glad you enjoyed the film.
1: You know, I mean, I know that that could have some tongue in cheek there, but it's really true. And and I one of the first questions I wanted to ask you is, what is that like? I mean, do you realize it?
2: Um. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess to a degree, it's kind of like Birdman. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, (laughs) wherever I go, there's like a little 10-year-old truffle shuffle, you know, truffle shuffling like behind me at at any, uh, you know, but I don't know, man, like, uh, you know, I'm an entertainment lawyer. So Mm -hmm. I think like my clients get a kick out of the fact and, and it's somewhat helpful that I have the background of. Of uh, you know being on the other side of the camera back in the back in the old days mm-hmm. when the world was young mm-hmm. and I had a hair and <laughs> uh, you know you know you know and Reagan was beginning his second administration oh my god um, you know so uh, yeah I don't know man it's cool you know it's it's, re- it's certainly weird it's a very weird thing but uh, you know it's, I love entertainment and now I just contribute uh, you know to entertainment in, in a different way but but I get a kick out of it
1: well speaking of the truffle shuffle did you originate that I mean were you the first one. To coin and maybe it was Spielberg or somebody that came up with it, but to actually coin it, do it, and then popularize it.
2: Well, you know the the screenplay for Goonies was actually written by uh, Christopher Columbus, um, and I think the story I think the story was by Christopher and uh, and Stephen. Um, so I know the term Truffle Shuffle was in the script. I mean, I just you know, of course. Did the dance because I was just a chubby little lunatic. And then, uh, you know, and then film history is made, I suppose.
1: I mean, I had a larger college roommate and the truffle shuffle was a daily part of our life. I remember in high school, the fat guy truffle shuffle on the football field. That's that's iconic.
2: Yeah, I kind of feel bad that I've, you know, somewhat. Uh, something that I helped, you know, create has terrorized heavyset <laughs> people for, you know, for now 30 years, which is, which is terrible. But what do you do? What do you do?
1: So you mentioned that you were kind of that terrorizing kid. Was that actually your personality or was that the, the, just what you put on for the movie?
2: Um, I mean, I was, a, you know, I was a ham when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that was kind of, that was kind of my personality. I was like, you know, kind of hammy, always, uh, always trying to be funny.
1: Yeah. So did you know what Goonies was going to turn into? Did you have any idea? I mean, yes, you were young, but or was it just I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a child actor. So, I mean, I'm just wondering, did you know what it was going to be a cult classic?
2: No, no, I didn't. You know, it was great to work with Richard Donner, the director, and and Steven Spielberg, uh, you know, uh, who's the producer of it. But but I didn't really I mean, I was a kid, you know, I didn't know.
1: Right. That's what I'm wondering. Does the gravity of any type of situation like that hit you when you're that young?
2: Um... Well, you know, I mean, it it was for me, you know, when I was a kid actor, I wanted to be Spanky from The Little Rascals. Mm -hmm. You know, that that was my goal. You know, Mm -hmm. I was a little chubby kid, and, and, uh, you know, I loved, I grew up kind of watching the old, you know, black and white, uh, short films, The Little Rascals. And you had Spanky and Alfalfa and Buckwheat and these, like, amazing kid actors. And Spanky was, like, the fat kid, and he was funny, and he was kind of the boss. And, and, uh, you know, and I wanted to be like him. So for me, it was just, you know, give give my best spanky i suppose
1: <laughs> i love it and i mean i'll stop gushing about it soon but i i was born in 83 you know i had an older brother five years older i've seen the goonies probably a hundred times i still wow. quote it you know i i'd say that when when you know really when sloth is like sloth chunk that's like that that's, might come out of my mouth once a week you know what i mean cool. between me and my friends so w- cool. what is that i've always wanted to ask somebody in your position you said it's weird. Is there any way to describe the fact that millions of people have seen your performances will quote lines that you've said anything like that? Or is this so far in the past you go, ah, man, I've answered these questions so many times. I don't even think about it.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, look, you know, the, uh, I mean, for me, if we're going to do one movie, that, that that's a good movie to have done. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I was kind of lucky in that, you know, I did Goonies and I did like all the 80s sitcoms mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that, but I never got so famous that I couldn't do something else. You right. know what I mean? Like like when I hit puberty and I couldn't get work and like, you know, everything got weird, mm-hmm. Um. you know, because all I had wanted to do was be an actor. And then I kind of hit puberty and I was, you know, beginning the transformation from Chunk to Hunk,
1: the mm-hmm. gorgeous, uh, mm-hmm.
2: you know, you know, piece of man me. To, uh, that I am now, of course. Um, uh, you know, so I, uh, you know, it, w- it was really hard for me at the time. But looking back, and it's when I actually write about this in my book a little bit, the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments uh, you know, the fact that I was, had some, you know, uh, you know, little taste of fame without being so famous that I couldn't actually do something else and have, you know, an entry level job and kind of work my way up, you know, you know, through the entertainment ranks, uh, I think was actually good. So I, I feel like I kind of like, you know, had just enough fame without having too much, you know?
1: Yeah. And oftentimes, I mean, if you go to that next level, what it can do to the psyche and the ego and, Especially as a child actor, we've seen it time and time again. Oh, sure, like, I mean, I don't know you personally, but I'm assuming, given that you have a respectable professional career and you've written this book, which is fantastic, and we're going to talk about that, the Deal Makers Ten Commandments.
2: Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I agree that lawyers are respectable, but <laughs> I appreciate that. That's very you know what? You're being that's a good,
1: that's a good, good point. Yeah, but yeah. you know, it, it obviously <laughs> didn't screw up too bad, and maybe that is a blessing in disguise that you didn't go on to be. You know the the Lindsay Lohan of your generation.
2: Well, you know it's funny. I uh, it, it's interesting in my in my in my book. You know, kind of before I get into the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, which are like kind of my rules for negotiating deals, managing your time, handling crisis. It's a business book. But but the preface is called Chunk Meets Machiavelli,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, I talk about you know being in, kind of an out of work child actor and not knowing you know kind of not having any meaning. You know, not understanding that. You know, why did this all go away? And there's that idea. uh, There's a quote that I love, which is the beauty of first love is our ignorance that it will ever end. Mm. And for me, acting was my first love, you know, and when it ends, you're shocked. You're like, well, I don't understand. Like, this is, is this how it works? I I don't know. You know, I didn't get it. So, you know, I think that, you know, yeah, it was really hard for me actually to like kind of figure something else out and try to find something else that I could, you know, succeed at. So, Hmm. yeah, I think being a, you know, being a former child actor is not always, uh, you know, the perfect recipe for success, you know, is <laughs> not always synonymous with winner, uh, you know, and, and, and part of the reason I think that is the case is, A, I think when kids are working, you know, uh, that's kind of weird, you know, yeah. especially like when you need the money, when, yeah. when it's not like, you know, like, oh, i am got, you know, I've got a paper route, but when you like, you know, when you're working and there's a lot of pressure on you. I think that's Mm -hmm. weird to put a kid in that situation. Secondly, I think with acting specifically, that's difficult, you know, for children to to kind of process when that's your job is that, you know, the whole point of acting is to kind of decipher what the audience wants, decipher what the director wants, decipher what the producer wants and give it to them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, and then you have to, you know, figure out what, what the character needs, you know, you have to kind of be someone else to a degree. And, you know, when you're a kid actor, you have to be someone else without knowing who you are, uh, which I think can somewhat, you know, stunt, stunt your growth. Uh, you know, emotionally. So for me, like, if there's one thing that I can pinpoint, like, wow, that's why it's kind of hard to be, you know, I think developmentally to be a, you know, kid actor, it's that aspect of it of having to be someone else before you know who you are yourself.
1: That's a really good point. And something that I wanted to touch on, which was, I've always wondered if it's harder or easier to be a child actor, because when I when I think back to when I was, I mean, how old were you in, in that movie? Like ten?
2: Yeah, I was ten. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So when I think back to that time, you're not quite beaten down by by who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do. You don't mind making an idiot of yourself. You're, you know, you're not as self conscious. I don't think. At least you're not as self conscious as you are when you're like sixteen or eighteen sure. or whatever it might be. And sure. so I think maybe it's easier to just go out and say. I'm just going to do it and have fun. Obviously, there's some pressure, but perhaps not the same pressure as your first job out of college, say.
2: Yeah. You know, I think it's like it's W.C. Fields, you know, old joke. You know, I hate I hate kids and dogs. Uh, because, uh, you know, if you're on stage with a kid or a dog, you're going to be upstaged by the kid or the dog mm-hmm. because you're right. There's something very natural, you know, that a dog off camera is the same as they are on camera. Bingo, yeah. And, and a kid kind of hanging out with their friends is very likely to be very similar, you know, you know, when they're on camera hanging out with the, you know, their friends in the script. So yeah, I think there's something, you know, hopefully that's naturally, you know, that's natural about a kid's performance. Also, I think with Goonies specifically, and for me, I think uh kind of part of the reason that it holds up um, which is you know kind of astonishing and and, and great you know uh, is that the director richard Donner um really wanted kids to be kids. Like, you know, kids talk over each other. Kids curse a lot, you know, when they're that age. And we curse all throughout that film. There's no way kind of in modern, like, Disney Channel days <laughs> that, that that Goonies with its language is ever going to get a PG rating. Never in a million years. Yeah. Um, but Richard Donner, the director, you know, very much to his credit, you know, wanted us to behave like how kids behave. And they talk over each other and they curse and they kind of you know, you know, push each other and and uh, I think that even though Goonies is dated in a lot of ways, it's very much a 1985 film. Looking at it, you know, kids being kids is eternal. You know, that's something that's perpetual. So I think the reason why now, you know, you know, you could maybe you know watch it with your kids, or someone can watch the film with with, with their kids, and then they could both enjoy it is, you know, it's, it's kids being kids, which is always fun.
1: Yeah. I got to say, this was one of the most fun interviews to prepare for. Cause I just said, I had an excuse. I told my wife, nah, I got to watch Goonies. I'm, I'm interviewing Chunk nice. tonight. You nice. know? So I really appreciate that break you gave me. Living the dream. Living the the dream. Living the dream. (laughs) So, when, you know, kids being kids, that is one vibe you get when watching the movie that it's just a couple of best friends going out there, getting into trouble, mischief. I mean, really, it is something. Again, I remember watching it as a kid and it kind of represented that uh, the freedom, the exploration, the imagination. Was it fun? Like, did you have a good time? Did you enjoy the cast? Did you, or did you feel pressured the whole time and and did 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 it hit you that you were making this movie
2: well i think i was very jealous I was very, very jealous uh, because, you know, as you know, pretty early on in the movie, the kids uh, and, and and I, you know, the other Goonies, we get separated, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm locked yeah. in, the, in the in the in the basement with a seven foot monster. But that
1: was locked. the best. That was like the best part of the movie.
2: Well, I'm in no position to disagree, so I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate, it.
1: but but and
2: and it turned out great. But at the time, I was so jealous because I'd, be yeah. like, hey, you know, I'd be like, hey, you'd uh, be like, hey, hey, Key, you know, Key Kwan, who mm-hmm. you know played uh, Data, and hey, Key, uh, what are you guys doing? today. Uh, you know, we're doing the water slide. Uh, what well, what about you, Jeff? Um I'm locked in the basement, uh locked in the basement with a monster. Yeah. You know? Hey Sean, what are you doing today? Uh, you know, we got this organ and it's made out of bones and the floor falls away. What are you doing? Uh they're gonna put my hand in a blender today, so we're gonna see Fratelli's are going to try to put my hand in a blender. We're ah, going to see how that works out. So at the time I was very jealous, but ultimately it it, uh, it did work out.
1: So you touched on some key points in the movie here. One being, let's talk about Sloth. Was he actually that scary while you were alongside of him? Or could you just tell it was so much prosthetics that, that really made it that amazing?
2: Sure. No, Sloth, no, Sloth, Sloth was actually uh, portrayed by an actor, John Matusak uh, who was just a great guy, really nice guy, unfortunately has passed away. Um, but, but he, he was actually like super nice to me. Um, and, you know, I think did a great job playing the role where, where it got scary was actually when I was a teenager and, uh, I played football, you know, you know, just, you know, just junior varsity football at my high school. And, uh, I would watch the NFL films. I love those old NFL films where that you know it's like you know what I'm talking about it's like you know 1964, oh, yeah. you know Green Bay Packers <laughs> versus the Bears, <laughs> yeah. you know like like those like slow mo, you know dudes beating the crap out of each other, old football films. And they they did. Uh, I was watching an episode uh, or a film about like the Great Raiders, the Great Oakland oh, Raiders yeah. Yeah. defensive linemen mm-hmm. and. They had all this footage of John Matusak because John Matusak was, you know, a fantastic defensive lineman and absolutely brutal. You I know? did
1: not know that. Yeah. Yes.
2: When he played in the NFL, this is absolutely true. He was the largest man in the NFL. He's what? enormous. Yes. He, he's, I want to say he's about six foot seven and change and broad and just, wow. I mean, just like a Greek guy, just <laughs> huge. And uh, to watch, you know, Sloth, uh, you know, as, as an Oakland Raider, just beating the crap out of these people that was scary so i was like wow he was super nice to me but i'm I'm glad i didn't get on his bad side yeah he was was a huge angry defensive lineman
1: now let's take a break for a message from our sponsor this week our episode is brought to you by lynda.com the online learning platform with over three thousand on on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business technology and creative skills for a free 10-day trial, visit lindacom slash smart That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash smart people. lynda.com is for problem solvers, for the curious, for people who want to make things happen. And we think that's you. Maybe you want to master Excel, learn how to negotiate, learn how to build a website, boost your Photoshop skills, go to lynda.com slash and feed that curious mind. Some of the courses I recommend are Going Paperless, Start to Finish, Income Tax Fundamentals, although we might have missed that, you can always use it next year, and Growth Hacking Fundamentals. Everybody wants to hack, why not grow faster? With a Lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts, stream thousands of videos, and learn at your own pace. Your Lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you just want to learn something, I want you to visit lynda.com/smartpeople and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's l y n d a dot com/smartpeople. Now back to the show. It was so funny when you mentioned data. I was just thinking, you know, his best line of the whole movie. And again, we still say it. I'll still say what my friends is. That's what I said. A booty trap.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know he's the best. There's, yeah, so, I love that guy.
1: there's so many great quotes. What have have any of the cast gone on to stay in the industry or have they all gone their separate their separate ways? And do you keep in touch with any of them?
2: Um I think for me uh, the director Richard Donner um you know you know I'm I'm friends with you know a bunch of kids from the show or I guess kids back adults now but kids yeah. when we were kids um but for me kind of the a really important relationship, and still is actually, is Richard Donner, mm. uh, who directed Goonies and also directed, you know, Superman, the original Superman, and you know, uh, The Omen, and all the Lethal Weapons, and you know, him and his wife uh, Lauren Shuler Donner, who's an amazing, uh, you know, remarkable film producer, you know, produced basically all of the X Men films. Um, so Dick, you know, really kind of took me under his wing, especially when acting didn't work out and let me work for him as a production assistant, oh, wow. uh, uh, you know, at his offices at Warner brothers at the time. And, you know, he was like, Hey kid, you know, what do you want to do? He's got this big booming voice. I was like, I want to be an actor, Dick. And he's like, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. You're not going to be an actor. He's like, you got geek, You got to figure it out. So he was really helpful in kind of showing me the business side of, of the entertainment industry and actually got me my first job as an entertainment lawyer, uh, when I was still in in law school at UCLA, mm. uh, at Universal Studios Television, so wow. um, so I think for me, kind of that continued relationship with Richard Donner and and watching all the amazing stuff that him and his wife Lauren could do, and really learning from that and trying to emulate that, has been for me like kind of the most important relationship from from the uh, film.
1: Well, I definitely want to talk about kind of your life in Hollywood and the you know your new book again, the Deal Makers Commandments and i appreciate you reminiscing on some goonies with me i only sure. have you know a couple more questions really not even specifically in regards to the movie but like one question that came up is so you're you're in this movie you do great obviously it's a little bit of a, a character role or you know it's it's really driven by by you and by your looks and and by your actions and who you are but it would seem that you would be able to make a career as an actor after what you did as a child there there are roles regardless of your age your looks whatever in Hollywood why didn't it transition or or and, and why did dick just say don't do it
2: um, because he was telling me the truth he was being smart you know hmm. uh, the um, I mean look here's the truth of it like acting for my money is the greatest job in the world. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, like nobody, no matter what they say, no one intentionally gives up acting, uh, it's the best job everyone's super nice to you and uh, you get to play make-believe and and dress up and you get to travel and especially for me as a fat kid there was food literally everywhere. Oh yeah, good food. Yeah, Great food. Unbelievable. Like craft service is the fancy movie term for it but it's basically a table filled with like awesome candy and like cold cuts and you know a food truck that'll make you anything so uh, it was the best best gig in the world you know. Um, I think for me specifically you know I looked different and I couldn't get work Hmm. you know and I had to kind of look at that and just say okay like you really loved acting and that was really meaningful to you but and i talk about this in the book uh it's dealmaker's commandment 4 actually things are precisely as they seem and uh you know i just the market was not responding to me and mm-hmm. that's fine you know that's totally reasonable uh i wasn't really a cute kid anymore. I didn't have anything really interesting to say. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, Jeff, you have to like, you know, find uh, another way you can contribute to the business, find something else you can be, you know, good at. And uh, that was kind of the beginning of my, you know, of kind of my, my change, I suppose. Yeah.
1: No, it's really interesting as you discuss it. I mean, my brother, he's a little bit older than me. He's been in LA since straight out of college. He went out there to be an actor had a few small roles, now makes his living mostly as an extra. He gets commercial gigs. And it takes a certain personality to persevere through everything that's out there. I mean, sure. it's you know, he's now, I think he's about 35, and he noticed a lot of his commercial roles uh, dwindling. And he said, well, I just wonder if I pass that age now where I look like the mid-20s kid that everybody's trying to market to. And I'm like, right. damn, like that's brutal. You know, you were working all the time one year and hardly anything the next, you know? So, well, I mean,
2: it's funny. I think, I think, I mean, I think that's right. I think being an actor is so difficult and challenging. Um, and I think because I have, you know, a little bit of experience on that side of it, I think part of the reason, you know, my, my law firm, um, you know, that I started way back in, in 02, so about 13 years ago, um, that we've had the success we we have had in entertainment is, you know, for me, understanding how challenging it is to be a performer is not merely academic, you right. know, like I get it, like, yeah, that's hard. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the fact that our clients know that, you know, that I can really empathize has been helpful. But yeah, man, it's challenging for sure.
1: Well, and let's talk about that. So you transition, you went to law school. I'm wondering, obviously, the the goal there was to do entertainment law, I'm assuming. And it's very similar to, for example, I played baseball up to the co- collegiate level, I thought maybe, you know, when I was deluded, I had a chance at going further. Um, So I thought, okay, maybe I'll coach in the future or at a minimum teach my kid. So the same way what you do when you're young, you want to incorporate in your life later. Was that the decision process to uh, become an entertainment lawyer?
2: You know what? It was I think it was lack of any other viable options. (laughs) I think it was kind of. I had been fired from so many jobs. Uh, I I I was like, okay, dude. You know, like, what can you what can you not get fired at? What will you be okay at? And you know, it's funny when I went to like when I went to Berkeley for undergraduate, and I was like, okay, I was like, what do you, I wanted to get away from entertainment? I didn't know that I wanted to do something in inter- entertainment anymore. And I was like, okay, what do you know? Ex actors do well at in California. I was like politics, right? Politics. I'm like, you know, uh, you know, Reagan. <laughs> you know, we had Reagan as governor. Yeah. Former actor. We had the governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, we we so uh, you know former actor. So I was like, okay, cool. So at Berkeley, I got really involved in politics, and I eventually became student body president with the amazing slogan "Chunk for President." Chunk for President absolutely uh, amazing you have um, my vote there you go I mean
1: seriously I mean come on Donald (laughs) Trump like let's be honest (laughs) I'll take chunk (laughs) you know
2: and I I, I agree I think in the in the chunk Trump uh, you know (laughs) head-to-head battle Chunk's totally taken that. It's, Absolutely. It's a landslide. So, so I mean, I wanted, you know, so I kind of, you know, experimented with politics, I was like, oh, maybe that's something kind of governmental, we'll do something over there. You know, when I went to Berkeley, I, uh, you know, my undergraduate was, was also in business. So I was like, okay, well, maybe just strictly business. Um, but what I had studied, you know, I still really enjoyed entertainment. And, you know, when I was a kid, like, my hero was Spanky and the Three Stooges, and I wanted to just be a comedic you know, actor, but as I got older, then my, my heroes became the moguls. You know, I studied, you know, Lou Wasserman and uh, you know, David Geffen and Jeffrey Katzenberg and Louis B. Mayer. And I was like, wow, you know, these guys really made an amazing impact in entertainment, and they were all great deal makers. Hmm. That was one thing they all had in common. You know, whether it's Bernie Brillstein or Mike Ovitz or whoever, you know, they were amazing deal makers. And I was like, okay. Go to, go to law school, you know, study, you know, study business law, which, which was my focus, and kind of take it from there.
1: Hmm. Well, I'm glad we kind of transitioned into this because, again, the book is The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, Ten Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood. What prompted you to write that? What prompted you to tell these Ten Commandments, which we'll get into? I'm sure. really interested in, in when you said, you know what? I think I need to write a book.
2: Well it's interesting. In um the uh the publisher is actually the American Bar Association. Uh and they have a commercial um imprint which is called Anchor Wike. Uh so this is basically a business book. Um they had come to me eventually uh, or or they came to me and said um, cuz they had profiled me uh for the American Bar Association journal and they're like, "Hey Jeff, you know, we want to do something about entertainment. Uh can you, you know, give us a pitch. So I thought about it and I was like, look, I want to open it up a little bit because I love business books. You know, I love, you know, those kind of, you know, those books that really kind of break it down for you. So I was like, my pitch to them was as follows. Success is life on your own terms. And the dealmaker's 10 commandments are going to help the reader ascertain what those terms are and then give them the tools to get them. Hmm. So the big idea is that the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments – and I've written it broadly for basically any business person. It's definitely a business book. And even in the beginning of the book, I have a warning. (laughs) Uh, and, And I use a quote, which is, good and great are seldom the same man. And what I say is this is a book about being great. It's not a book it's not a book about being good. Mm. If you want to be good, there are other books for that, you know. It's pretty hardcore. Uh, you know, kind of real politique view of business and how brutal it can be and how brutal you have to be to to, to win, you know. Mm. And and basically the dealmaker's 10 commandments are tools to negotiate great deals, manage your time, Handle crisis at the highest level without losing your soul. So, big picture, that's what the the book's all about.
1: Well, at that last part, let's talk about that. How do you, you know, save your soul in Hollywood? I feel like it's a pretty soul sucking place.
2: It's interesting, uh, dealmakers. Uh, I'm going to spoiler alert: dealmakers' commandment ten. I'm just going to come with,
1: <laughs> it.
2: Uh, you know, because kind of throughout the book, it, there's you know, the first the deal, dealmaker's first commandment is: it is better to be feared than loved. Uh, which is, of of course, from the great uh, Renaissance philosopher Niccolo Machiavelli. Mm -hmm. uh, And he wrote it in the early 1500s, and it's still true. Mm. Uh, The idea being that people are afraid of you because you make them. That's something you control. You can control people being afraid of you, mm-hmm. but you cannot control them loving you. That's that's their decision. Hmm. And if you're a a deal maker, if you're a, a, a capitalist, you have to be able to build an empire on things that you can control. Now, for me, and I talk about it kind of before I get into chapter one uh, of the book. You know, as an actor, the whole exercise is being loved. So that that's you know that's what I wanted. That's what I you know you know that's what I that was my goal. And when that failed, I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until you know, late high school I read the book called The Prince written by Nicola Machiavelli, which you know, is kind of the greatest uh, you know, um, you know, self-help book of all time. He wrote it as advice to a prince uh, in the early 1500s in Renaissance Italy uh, of like, hey, if you want to be a prince, this is how you do it. This is how you get power. This is how you deal with your subjects. This is how you deal with your enemies. And a key, a key point for him is better to be feared than loved. Uh, You know, and that's kind of how I how I kick off the book. Now, as far as losing your soul or not losing your soul, I'll jump to the end dealmakers commandment 10, which is heed Nietzsche's warning. Uh, Nietzsche's warning, as I see it being the following, which uh, uh, Frederick Nietzsche said, beware when fighting monsters, you yourself do not become a monster. Mm. And I think to be a successful business person. Uh, you got to do a lot of brutal things and the economy is really brutal and capitalism is really hard. And sometimes to win, you're going to have to do some really ugly stuff. The question is, you know, how do you fight these monsters without becoming one? And that's something that I kind of deal with uh, in the book as well.
0: Smart People Podcast is supported by Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. Wealthfront software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest investors for just one quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor. Wealthfront monitors your account 24 7, automatically rebalancing your portfolio, reinvesting dividends, and working to maximize your after tax returns. Wealthfront is also overseen by a team of investment experts, the same experts who helped launch the index fund revolution and who've written some of the most important books in finance. In case you're still not convinced, you should know that Wealthfront manages over $2 billion in client assets and has saved millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. So with Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, what will you do with all your extra time? Visit Wealthfront.com smartpeople smart people to get your first $10,000 managed for free. Wealthfront Inc. is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risks and there is a possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure.
1: It's interesting. I have this, this inner conflict going on because I am definitely, I, I'm on the lines of I'd much rather be loved or at least liked than anything else, right? And that's not necessarily a good thing, but... A lot it's of people yeah, very- and, and a lot of people do like being in my presence. And sure. I, I sometimes I feel like, you know, I'd rather have an abundance of good connections, friendships, then then have money. If that money has to be earned through creating fear or screwing other people over, what would you say to the person that's sure. like, look, man, I, I want to have both of them. I want to I want to <laughs> be liked and have money.
2: And you know what? I think that's totally reasonable. Um, I mean, I guess I would say the first thing is, you know, in the warning uh, section of my book, what I say is, look, you know, the the techniques that I'm advocating now are are for business. They are not for pleasure. They are not for you know friends and lovers and puppies. Uh, you know, it, like it, it's, you know, these tactics should be used in business. They should not be used in your personal life. The second thing I would say is, I totally respect that. It makes sense. I think merely from a perspective of self-defense, it's important to know what the Dealmaker's Ten Commandments are because even if as a business person you're not comfortable using these tactics, people who you're dealing with
1: will Will. be comfortable
2: using these tactics. So merely from a position of Mm self-defense, merely from knowing like, oh, you know, This is kind of what other people are doing. It's Mm -hmm. important to know. But I respect that. You know, everyone has to make the choices that, you know, that, that makes them comfortable.
1: And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. I was just talking to a friend of mine who got laid off. She walked into work and she worked at a small, well, fairly small firm, 20 employees or so. And the owner just said, you know what? I'm retiring. I'm not even selling the company. I'm literally dissolving it in like within weeks. And she said, well, you know, what about us? And the guy really didn't care, and I think that story happens a lot, unfortunately. And people, especially employees, oftentimes feel this sense of uh, duty, and the employers simply don't.
2: Well, it's interesting. I would, I would, uh, I would go to Dealmaker's Commandment three, which is everyone is on the same side. Their own. Uh, You know, when you're kind of evaluating a business environment and you're kind of analyzing and I kind of go through different tactics that I use to create what I call a motivation mosaic, which is you kind of look at all the parties to a specific endeavor and you're like, what does everybody want? And then, what does the side as a whole want versus what do the individuals want? And you know, self-interested behavior, although you know maybe not laudable, is certainly the rule. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you know, I've been you know, I was actually uh, you know, and I actually write about it um, in the book. Uh, I was actually working um, you know at a studio, and basically my division got you know got dissolved, and it was fine for me because I was a kid. You know, I was young. Mm-hmm. But there were really talented, good executives in their 50s who had worked at at this studio for decades and they were in trouble and they were left out in the cold and I saw that happen and it broke my heart and I was like, wow, you know, you know business can get really cold really quick. So, you know, for me part of the reason it is writing in writing this book is to give people the tools to be prepared for that and ways to deal with that. So that mm-hmm. way, hopefully they're prepared, you know, before the the well has run dry.
1: Well and I have a question here because, you know, I've read a lot of reviews on the book. It everyone loves it, by the way. You know, I, I'm you. sorry I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but I know you guys are sending over a copy yeah. and I can't wait. Um, but Uh, And everyone says like, wow, he's funny. He's likable. We've all seen you as Chunk. You sound, you know, you seem like a nice guy. I've interviewed 200 people. I'm a pretty good judge of character. I think you're a pretty nice guy. You put things out there open and honest. I I don't see this fear inducing cutthroat lawyer aspect. Is there a balance? Is there a way you can say, look, I'm a good person, but I have to hold these 10 commandments true as I'm negotiating because that's my job.
2: Well, I appreciate that, um, but uh, we've never negotiated a deal against each other. <laughs> right, right,
1: right, right, right. Yes. That, so, so that's what I'm we've saying.
2: Never, we've, never, we've never been in the pit together. Well, no, but, that's what I'm
1: saying. Is there, yeah. Do you really just separate it by like, you know here's who I am as a person, here's who I am as a lawyer?
2: You know, it's interesting. You know, part of, and I, and I deal with this in the book, uh, Dealmaker's Commandment 8, be a deal maker, not a deal breaker. You know, uh, ultimately, the exercise of economic combat is not to show everybody how smart you are or how awesome your car is or, you know, how, uh, you know, how loud you can yell. That's not the point, right? The point is to make a deal because if you don't make a deal, you don't get paid. Your client doesn't get paid. The endeavor fails, you know. So, so what I write about in the book is one thing that a dealmaker is not is bloodthirsty, you're not an animal you don't you don't want to hurt someone to hurt them it has to be to basically teach the other side a lesson under the auspices of bad behavior requires consequences so mm-hmm. you don't just strike out you know without reason it's if you know it's if someone has misbehaved they have to be punished uh, and you kind of need an effective mechanism of punishment for the opposing side, so they learn not to screw with you. So you know, so that's basically the the big idea.
1: Yeah, and 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 again, maybe a lot of this viewpoint is also because of the industry you're in. You ever, I mean, is that a, a fairly uh, obvious well, yeah. type assessment? You think?
2: You know what? It's interesting. Um, it's funny uh, in the book. You know, because you know with my extra long title and i do i do agree it is a very long title you know it's 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 uh, ten essential tips for business forged in the trenches of hollywood mm-hmm. so my experience is as a transactional attorney negotiating deals for media companies for actors for directors for writers whatever um you know and i and i kind of pepper throughout the book different entertainment stories uh you know to make it interesting and fun and i do think everyone's second business is entertainment you know like you can be uh in the, you can be a coal miner but you still know what movies are coming out you know what i mean or you'll still have your favorite albums that you love so i think everyone around the world even if entertainment isn't their main business mm-hmm. it's going to be their second business because mm-hmm. we all love whether it's video games or books or you know movies or you know music um but i actually think uh if you look at non-entertainment related businesses, they're they're brutal. Yeah, yeah. They're oh, just yeah. brutal, man. Like if you get laid off from Universal Studios or you get laid off from Coca-Cola or you get laid off from Ford, uh, you're still you still got laid off. Mm-hmm. You know you know what I mean? So I actually think that business generally uh, is is brutal. You know, which is why I think the tactics that I advocate are effective. You know, whether you're in, in working at an insurance company or uh, you know in the uh, coal mining business or uh, you know or or you're a you're an agent at a uh, entertainment agency.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you can probably tell, and the listeners can tell, I'm searching for any just little bit of no. It doesn't have to be this way because you know, I'm the guy that was, was making six figures in finance. I was actually doing commercial real estate finance as the market crashed. I mean, I saw some of the loans that we did be part of, you know, part of the problem, if you will.
2: And I can't even even imagine some of the stuff that you saw go down. It was 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 bonkers.
1: It was, it was insanity. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I've seen so many people just get fired. It was nuts, but and I left because it's so not in my nature. I now, I mean, I, I helped launch a nonprofit, um, a life coach. I mean, very much on the opposite end of let's do brutal tactics. And so it's just something that I'm like, oh, I know there's truth to this, and it's really good to learn. I just want to see the good in people, and I think oftentimes it has cost me money or you know uh, things that I wanted.
2: Well, I mean look I think it is very much about doing whatever you're comfortable you know as as a human being but again I'll go back to that idea of you know even if you don't feel comfortable using these tactics the other guys will be completely comfortable using these right. tactics yeah, so, so merely true. from self defense to be like oh wow you know and and, I, and in the book I I wanted very much to be honest and to be straightforward and to say look man like you know you know as a lawyer I'm paid to tell my clients the truth
1: mhm You know,
2: I'm not, I'm not, if, if you can't tell your client the truth, if you're telling people, you know just what they want to hear, then you cannot be an effective advocate. Mm-hmm. So it's very much my job and my training to be like, look, man, this is what's going down. This is my take. We'll do whatever you want, but this is the way I see it. Absolutely. So, so, so in the book, uh, that was the tactic I wanted to use. It wasn't, it's not, you know, let's all hold hands and be friends. It's like, look, dude, like this is how it goes down. So, uh, so, so be ready, you know?
1: And the thing is, I mean, Again, I haven't had a chance to, to to read it yet, but the reviews, I've read you know, a lot about the book and, and everybody say I mean, one thing is somebody says it's a modern day art of war. And I think those books have a big place and we need to know the strategies that are used either against us, what we need to use to get what we want. And in a way that potentially um, it's not harmful, it's not... You know, you're not lying through your teeth, but it like you said, capitalism is a brutal game. It
2: sure is. It sure is. And uh yeah, I mean I, I really I think there's so many institutions that kind of defang us as people and they kind of domesticate us as people. Uh and then we're kind of when we're put out in the arena, we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so so what I hope is that this book can kind of give the reader the tools uh to arm themselves and uh, you know, and kick ass.
1: Well, Jeff, again, thank you so much for being on the show. The book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, it's brand new. Everybody loves it. I can't wait to get a chance to read it and really take on some of that advice and and turn a little bit more inward and see what do I want and how am I going to get it? Because at the end of the day, if I can do it in a way that meshes with me, that's great. It's for business, as you explained. Um, I wanted to give you a chance. Is there anything you want to let our listeners know anywhere else you'd like to guide them? We, of course, will link to the book on smartpeoplepodcast.com. So we'll have that link up there. What else is what else is going on?
2: Well, it's funny, actually, Uh, throughout the book, I do. Precisely, as you said, I, I actually have each each of the 10 chapters has what I call a question for self mastery, which is various questions that I want the reader to ask themselves to discover, you know, they really are, what they really want, what are they afraid of, what really motivates them. So I'm, I'm definitely, definitely keyed in on, on what I think is kind of a key part of the book. Um, I would just say go to Amazon.com. You could buy the hardcover. You could buy the uh, Kindle or if you I'll, I'll even read you the book. You can buy the audio book and I these this gorgeous voice will actually read it to you uh, uh, if you'd like. I, I um, would
1: like that. I'm going to carry it on. That's like a 10 hour conversation I get to have with you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, you know, or, or, you know, feel free to check me out on Twitter Twitter it's a jeff underscore b underscore cohen okay or facebook jeff b cohen esq uh or linkedin jeff b cohen and uh, i hope to continue the conversation
1: Definitely. And Jeff, you know, I'm out. I'm assuming you're in L.A. I'm out there yeah. a lot. I might hit you up next time. Take you out. Nicest dinner. You can, you know, I just want to want to say what's up to you You
2: want better. I just I'm so I'm so excited about this. I've, I've realized a, a childhood dream. I actually just got a Donkey Kong machine in my office. Get uh, out of here. I'm over for some Donkey Kong and scotch.
1: It's that's how we roll, man. Come that's on, happening. On. Well, you you're my favorite. I love this. You know, this book. Thank you for writing it. Uh, can't wait to get it. All right, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time.
2: Thanks, Chris. Real pleasure. And again, feel free to send the copy. Happy to sign it for you.
1: I can't wait. Thanks
0: again. You got it, pal. All right, man. Have a good one.
2: You too. Bye-bye.
0: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff Cohen. Really got to let this one sink in. Like Chris, I've probably seen The Goonies a hundred plus times. One of my favorite movies from my childhood And it was just great to hear Jeff and his tales as Chunk and what he's doing now as an entertainment lawyer in Hollywood. Jeff's book, The Dealmaker's Ten Commandments, Ten Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood, can be found online on Amazon or locally at your bookstore. And if you are purchasing it through Amazon, you know the drill. Please use our Amazon link smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. If you're looking for other easy ways to support the show, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating and review over there. You know we appreciate it when you do that. So thank you in advance to everybody that heads over to iTunes and Stitcher. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, please shoot us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Or send us a message on Twitter at Smart People I wanted to take a quick moment to thank everybody for listening to the show. This is episode 200, which is absolutely bananas to think about that Chris and I started this in a closet in Arizona back in 2010 and have continued these past almost five years now and talked to some of the most interesting and coolest people that I never thought I'd actually be able to talk to. So you guys as listeners are a huge part of that. If you didn't listen to the show, we wouldn't be doing it. So thank you very, very much. Here's to 200 more, but we'll take it one day at a time. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up, and we'll see you all next week.